This sermon was recorded online during our season of Shelter in Place in Mountain View, California. Today, we celebrate the second Sunday in the Epiphany season. And just kind of by way of getting that started, I have a photo that I thought would be good for us to examine. Ah, there it is. What a striking photo. Um, Only the most experienced biblical archaeologist will know what this is, but it is a photo taken towards the end of the 19th century uh, by a guy named Daniel Shep. And it is a photo of where the biblical archaeologists that started to emerge in the 19th century thought that Jacob had his vision of the angels ascending and descending from heaven. And you might recall that from Genesis 28, where Jacob is on his way to find the bride as the Lord commanded him to do. And he beds down for the night. He puts a stone under his head and he uh, goes to sleep. And in the middle of that comes this vision where he sees heaven open. Angels are ascending and descending and the Lord is in heaven. And the Lord is actually uh, saying this to him. It, It is his covenant with Jacob. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and they will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed because of you and your offspring. He doesn't repeat it, but I will. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And so this is where archaeologists think this actually happened. At least some of them do at the time. It's called today or at the time Beatin, because by that time it had become more Arab than Jewish. And it it is what what our gospel reading references. When Jesus has his encounter with with uh, Nathaniel, and at the end of that encounter, the last part that we read, and we see that Jesus is saying, "You believe Nathaniel because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that." And then he added, "Very truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man." And we'll unpack that in in just a moment. But before we get there, the focus of our time together is really on how the Lord is is interacting with Nathaniel. Nathaniel is not somebody that we know a lot about. Scholars are kind of divided as to who he was. Maybe he was one of the 12 apostles, though he's not named Nathaniel. His name is a derivative that is similar to Bartholomew or Matthew, which means gift of God. Others think that he was just a disciple of Jesus making a cameo appearance essentially to, to say, to declare the, to the Lord um, that you are, you know, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. But either way, there's an, a, you know, a really impressive and startling dynamic. And it starts with uh, Philip talking to Nathaniel about, hey, come and meet Jesus, the one whom the prophets spoke of, and the one that Moses told us about, the Moses, you know, what Moses wrote, this is who we have found, we have found the Messiah. And Nathaniel being Nathaniel, well, I guess apparently a, a man in whom there is no guile said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like straight up, just 
responding to what he's heard. And then Jesus approaches him as he, Jesus sees Nathanael approaching and Jesus initiates the conversation. He says, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Here's a guy that just tells it like it is. There's no guile. There's no pretense. But Nathaniel, and Nathaniel responds to the comments of the Lord. He says, how do you know me? Jesus says, uh, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. That's really interesting because how did the Lord know that? And, and here's this revelation of some aspect of the Lord's divine nature as he connects with Nathaniel, as he says, I've already seen you. And, and I, I think that's just so intriguing. I mean, part of the reason it is, is because we, we get a sense of, of the fact that Nathaniel's, um, the example that we can find from him as he sees the Lord coming. Uh, he's just, he's, he's in that place of honesty at all times. First, he says, not sure anything good can come out of Nazareth. Then he hears the Lord speak to him and say he actually knew him before uh, Philip ever mentioned him. So that's obviously got his heart. And then he responds, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And, and so that, that quick progression, if you will, of, of Nathaniel's engagement with the Lord teaches, shows me a few things that I'd like to share. One, that Jesus sees us before we see him, you know, as it was true in Nathaniel's case, so it is true in ours, that even as we, you know, most of us, I'm pretty sure, if not all of us, know the Lord in the same way that the Lord's disciples did, having that sense of connecting our lives to him, having our, our rootedness firmly in him. But we, we did that because we knew at some level that the Lord always knew us before we could even know who we were in him, even know his plan for our life, even before we knew that he was actually calling us and inviting us to join. But here's a really interesting piece out of this interaction with Nathaniel. As Nathaniel comes and responds to Jesus, Jesus reveals more of himself to Nathaniel. It's already pretty impressive, if you will. Nathaniel's impressed by the Lord's foreknowledge of, of who he is. And so he says, you're the son of God and the king of Israel. And then Jesus says, you know, that, that isn't sort of, I'll paraphrase, the half of it. There's far more and you will see. And then he, and then he quotes essentially the passage from, from Genesis 28. He quotes the passage of Jacob's ladder. And, and so I think as we seek to live incarnationally, as we seek to live in Christ, who is the embodiment of the triune God, who is the manifestation of God in human form, that we would understand who God is and respond to him. As we follow the example of Nathaniel and and are drawn in by interaction with the Lord, we are able to understand more what it means to live incarnationally. And that's really the, the purpose of the whole Genesis uh, 28 reference. The Lord is telling us here that just as angels uh, ascended and descended to the throne of heaven that Jacob saw, so they are now ascending and descending on him. This is the very much a God come to earth manifestation. And so that's why it's included in the epiphany piece. And already as we get started, I, I want us to kind of hang on and grab on to that example of Nathaniel. That if we live lives of incarnation, we are ones that are drawn to the Lord and we have to respond to him authentically. 
You know, sometimes I think, I'll just speak for myself, I can hold back on a certain matter. I, I, you know, maybe I don't have time to deal with that thing, Lord, that you put on my heart or that uh, conundrum that just needs prayer and study and wisdom and sitting in the middle of that. Sometimes I can resist that or just make excuses for not drawing closer to the Lord in that particular area. But, but this encourages me to do that, to see, to hear God pull me towards himself on a particular matter, particular subject, particular challenge, and then to move forward with that on authenticity. Hey, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Hey, I'm concerned that uh, this might be harder than I think. You know, I don't know what that is for you, um, but I think as we are disciples in Christ, there are always some level of challenge of of trying to take, you know, trying to understand who we are in him, this incarnational reality, the fact that his spirit indwells us, and, and seeing how that makes sense to us. And so, um, yeah, I just want to, that, that's kind of the first thing that, that really struck me to encourage each of us to move forward in that incarnation, draw close to him, let him call you out, let him show you that there's far more things. Here's the reason to do this. One of the reasons is, you know, as we do that, he just, he'll say to us, there's far more things that I have that, 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 that you don't even know about yet. You don't know what your life will be like a day from now, let alone a year from now. And right now, I, I think, you know, there, we're just more aware of uncertainties. We're, we're probably more aware of the uncertainties than things that are certain, things that we used to take for granted or we're less able to do that. So um, it's in times like this that I think the Lord's approach to Nathaniel continues to speak to us about his loving approach to us and that we would be connected to him ever so deeply so that whatever we are experiencing, whether personally, corporately, you know, on the job with our neighbors, in our families, those are things that we know God is always accompanying us with. So that's part of what it means to live incarnationally, if you will, out of this place with the Lord. Um, The other place that I think our readings draw our attention to is really the way that Paul is applying this incarnational reality in his comments, uh, in his writings to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, you know, Paul is saying, in essence, you've triumphed in, because you're in Christ, you are this new creation, that the things that formerly controlled you and guided you. And then he has this litany of things, right? Greed and lust and uh, anger and selfishness and drunkenness. Those no longer control you. You're a different person. But now you are to be the people that are living out of that sense of, of incarnation. And specifically, he calls attention to the way that the Corinthians think about their bodies and the way that they use their bodies. And I mean, this was sort of a kind of a bombshell in the Greco-Roman culture, which didn't know what bodies were really for from a, you know, Christian perspective. They either took a, uh, you know, you could use them however you wanted. That was oftentimes sort of libertine attitude, or there's something really to be ratcheted down, to be tamped down. None of the passions uh, could find any real expression. That's more of a stoic, ascetic type of piece. But, But in any event, the body was vastly subordinate to the soul. And so bodies were just kind of in this, this do whatever you want category. And, uh, and Paul is saying, no, that's not right. Then in fact, what you uh, Corinthians think and were raised with is not true. Your physical material creation really matters to God because he made you. 
and that as you are in Christ, you are connected to him. In fact, in Christ, your very bodies are members of Christ himself. And that's that you just got to sit in that. And, and we as a body of believers need to exemplify that. And we need to encourage people in that because, you know, that concern that Paul has of what, what takes us away from the Lord, which is somehow to, to treat our bodies second class, to abuse them in this example of drunkenness or to be totally sexually immoral in, in any manner of ways that are mentioned. All these things are, are violation of that fundamental connection dynamic that our bodies belong to the Lord. They are members of Christ himself. And that incarnational dynamic is the basis for the ethic around sexuality, around how we use our bodies, around the value of them. And I think that has any number of application areas uh, for us today, Um, certainly for those that that we know and, and want to encourage. But you know, Paul is enough, you know, he's a great pastor. He's a lot of things, but he's certainly a good pastor. And he says to the Corinthians, to the believing church, flee sexual immorality. Don't get re-entangled in the things that you were freed from uh, when you came to Christ. And, and that takes encouragement uh, amongst the members. That takes limiting our intake of a, our own culture reflects very much some of the same dynamics that were present in Paul's day. And to you know, be careful what we take into our minds. Be careful what we read. Be careful what we're what we're embracing or or thinking about. Paul doesn't want us to be in a place where where the members of Christ that are our physical bodies are somehow in um, violation of of this dynamic. And so, I, I find that also encouraging. I find that instructive and indeed prophetic in places for our times. So, um, yeah, worthy of continued thought and, and prayer, I think, for us and for those that we're praying about. The point is this. We want to live as displays of God's incarnation uh, in our own lives and to those around us. Now, how we get there, uh, a couple practical ways, I think, to help us from our readings again. The first, uh, Benny read the, the first Samuel passage where... Samuel himself is called. He's a boy, of course. Um, But we notice in here that Samuel, each time he hears the Lord speak, he says, here I am. You know, he he says this three times. Here I am. Speak to me, Lord. What, you know, I'm I'm trying to, you know, (laughs) here I'm. He's he's presenting himself again in sort of this posture of receptivity. And God uses that as the beginning of his commissioning, the beginning of the time where he is, uh, that will shortly be made the priest and the judge over Israel, replacing Eli. So there's this posture that Samuel brings of saying, Lord, here I am. And I think for, for some of us, uh, wherever these times find us, wherever these readings find us, to be able to say, Lord, I don't know what you have in store for me. I don't know necessarily what's ahead. But I do know that I belong to you. I do know that you are, uh, Jesus, you are God incarnate. You get me because you're fully human. And yet you know my future. You saw me before I ever saw you. And so you can lead me and you will lead me because you love me. And so, Lord, here I am. Here I am. I pray that for each of us, Lord. Where, 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 does, that, where does that phrase need to come out of your heart in, in terms of your connection with God today?
what, what area of your life does that find or need particular voice? Lord, here I am. Your servant is listening. Help me understand. Um, yeah, so that's the posture of Samuel speaks to me. But the other thing that speaks to me is the prayer of the psalmist. In Psalm 63, uh, there, the verses 3 and 4 say this, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. See, the psalmist, his, uh, the, the psalmist circumstances aren't all that good either. So, you know, if you could recall the way that it, it started, it said, God, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Why? Because I'm in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Now, there's plenty of dry areas in this world today, in our country today, in our region today, in our lives today, in our relationships today. We are in dry and weary places. But in this same way, then the, the prayer of the psalmist, you know, he recognizes where he is, but he doesn't let that control his response. He knows that the Lord's love is better than life itself. And because of this, his lips will glorify him. He says, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. And I just find that that, that, the prayer of the psalmist, along with the, the posture of Samuel, are two ways that we can, I think, move into this incarnational reality that Christ brings us, that he is the one on whom angels, if you will, heaven is open, the open heaven, and angels are ascending and descending. He is revealing himself to the whole world. And as we connect with him in those two ways, um, then he is a able to further allow us and privilege us to do our part, to represent him more and more, to live out that life of incarnation and not with the idols that, that you know, Paul was talking to the Corinthians about. And so Epiphany is a season where we who follow Christ are reminded that he indwells us and that he's leading us for his namesake and for our own joy. The idols around us are idols. They're called that because they actually cannot satisfy. They can never satisfy but they are there uh, to entice us and then to entrap us in those things that never satisfy. And therefore, if we let that happen, they lead us away from the incarnate life that Christ has for us. And then if we actually succumb to such things, then that photo of Baetin that we saw earlier, where you know there's no more monument, there's just this dead, bleak wasteland in the photo, that will be potentially the photo of our own spiritual life. But of course, it doesn't have to be that. If we would say, Lord, here I am, um, so if we're tempted and we are at times to flag or we get weary, that's really natural. At times we fail. Let's be encouraged by what Samuel did, his posture of saying, here I am. And the prayer of the psalmist that says, Lord Jesus, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you, that I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.